And we're going to dive in. We started a series last week called Be Real, right? And we talked a little bit about how uh, in life, we want to be people who are authentic and genuine and vulnerable. And we're talking about this in three different aspects. We're talking about how we need to be more real with God, to be more real with one another, and how we also need to be real with ourselves, okay? And so we're looking at this kind of a, 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 a different passages each week, but that's kind of our theme that we're in for three weeks, just for the month of January. And we'll kind of move on to a new series after that. But for the next three weeks, that's kind of where we are. Because I think in our, in our life, in our culture, we value authenticity. We value not being fake. Like we don't, we don't want people to be fake. In fact, some of you have asked me, but this week I shaved my head. So I'm, I'm bald now. So I don't know. I don't know why you're cheering. I'm crying. Okay. But my genetics were catching up with me. My hair was falling out very quickly. And so I just decided, why not? Let's just shave my head. And so I'm being real with you right now. That's just life, and that's just how it is sometimes. I think sometimes in life, even though we say we value not being fake, we value being real, we value authenticity, sometimes in life, being real is not the easiest thing, right? Whenever we like know that we need to have a difficult conversation or we know that we need to say something that's not going to be easy to say, that sense of being real is not easy at times. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it hurts. But I think for the most part, we really ought to strive for that authenticity and that vulnerability with God, with one another, and even with ourselves. And tonight, I really want to focus in on how we are to be real with one another. You know, when you look at how God has created us as humans, we were designed for something called community, okay? Everybody say community. Our church name is Christ Community Church. Did you guys know that? I mean, you come here on Wednesday nights, you think it's MSM, but... Really, our church name is Christ Community Church. And that phrase, community, is something that's ingrained in us as humanity. From the very beginning, when God created us, He, even in the creation story, we see com- communion with God Himself, right? God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all God. They have kind of this relationship with one another, yet they're all God. And then God creates Adam in the garden, He's kind of doing His thing. And then it says, in Genesis, it was not good for man to be alone. Do you guys remember this story? And so God creates Eve. They kind of have community. They have, anyways, then the world is populated. And there now, even as you guys, we have community. Hopefully the people that you sit in a small group with on Wednesday nights are the people that you would say, these people are my family. These people are my community. They're people that I most of the time like being around. And I feel like they're the people that I can call on when things are difficult. They can help me through difficult situations, because I think the, in God's design for all of humanity, the church has a responsibility of community, the sense in which we together kind of form this community of people. Even that word community is really just this sense in which together we're like working towards a common goal or we're united around a common achievement, uh, even from its roots of that word community. And I think in all of this, what I really want you to get before we dive into kind of a couple things about how to be real, life is not meant to be done in isolation at all. Like life is just not meant to be like that. In, in life, there's times when we want to go and kind of sit by ourselves. And I think there, there are certain people in the way we're wired that maybe alone time is not a terrible thing. But when you think about life, when you think about the struggles of life, when you think about the great joys and successes of life, they're meant to be done with people. 
That's why I think the family is, is God's design for like the, the, the foundation block of society. That's why God established the church. And so much of life wants to pull us to isolation so that we're kind of by ourselves. And yet God wants us to be in community, be with other people. And so you're here on a Wednesday night and you might be like, I don't even know these people, but hopefully you'll get to know them and you'll kind of consider them your community. And I think I got two things for you tonight, only two things that I think pull us away from community. Two things in life that I think cause us to think in our minds, I should just go be by myself. I should isolate myself. Those two things, I'm gonna give them to you up front, are conflict and confession, okay? Conflict and confession, I think are two areas that push us as people to seek isolation. We're gonna look at two different passages today, one from Ephesians 4 and one from James uh, chapter five. Those are kind of our two, two passages. Both of these passages were written for the church, all right? So as we read these things, the person who wrote this to the people who were reading it originally were Christians. They were believers and it's written for the church. And so we can kind of take this as like, all right, these are commands or, or distinctives of the church. And we wanna see these things and apply these things in our life. So Ephesians chapter four says this in verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another, one, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry and give no opportunity to the devil. I had a teacher when I, was, when I was growing up and they said, anytime the Bible says, therefore, you should look back to see what it's there for. Like, why is that word there when, when a writer says therefore? And so I'm gonna give you a little bit, few verses backwards, but I think it's important. I, a prisoner for the Lord, this is verse one through three, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the what? Unity, say it, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So in this passage, Paul is confronting some issues of disunity and division in the church. So when he says, walk in a manner worthy, he's, he's literally saying you need uh, to consider that there are certain responsibilities of us as believers in the church, that we are to walk, we are to live in a certain way. And there's certain things in life that should function a certain way because we are believers. It says walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. All right, so we walk in a certain way, we live in a certain way. And there were obviously some disagreements in the church that Paul is addressing. And I think if we look among uh, our, our church, our youth group, but even like in your own small group, there's probably things you disagree on, things that you guys, maybe the way that the a level of enthusiasm or the level of chill, the way that you wanna do discussion, the way that you wanna pray, like all those things are disagreements in life. And there were obviously some disagreements and Paul wanted them to understand as a church, as a community, as a group of believers who are in Christ, you're going to disagree about some things, but you have to be unified. As Christians, Paul admonishes us to be eager to maintain that unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of you are, are is there anybody here, I use a great, this is a great example on something. Is anybody here like a bodybuilder or like a weightlifter? Like you just like, <laughs> what about like an athlete? Is anybody like a really strong, like a really solid athlete? Sterling? Come here, come here. You're an athlete. What, what sport do you play? This is your first night here. I don't know why I'm calling you up. Come here. No, come all the way up here. You, you're an athlete? 
What's your favorite sport? Football? All right. So when you're playing football and you're at practice, when you get to practice, are you like, Man, I'm just going like, to be here at practice, I guess. No? We, would you say that you're eager at practice? Yeah, you're eager. All right, when you get to the game, it's a big game. Going, you're out of football season now, though. All right, so reflect on, like, this, this past season. You're at a game, it's a big game, and you're there, and you're getting hyped up, and you're ready. Are you just, like, sitting on the bench or, like, just got your gear on? It's like, I guess I'm going to play football. No? Would you say you're eager? Eager. Like, what does eagerness look like when you're, like, on the side, sidelines of the field, like you're ready to play? Uh-huh. You ready? You got, your, you got all your gear? Are you hyped up? Are you hyping everybody else up? Are you screaming and yelling? Are you listening to the coach, doing whatever he tells you to do? Yeah, because you're eager, right? You want to win the game. Did you, how did you play? You play good? All right. If you're Jaden's brother, I know you play good. Go sit down. Right? When we have those things in our life, we are eager to do that. And Paul says that we should make every effort to maintain the unity in this bond of peace. We should be eager, that we should desire to do that. Now, listen. When you are in a disagreement with somebody in your small group, would you describe yourself as being eager or making every effort that you can maintain unity in your group? Like probably not the same level of enthusiasm that we bring to our favorite sport or this thing that we're really excited about. And yet Paul says, hey, listen, you need to be eager. You need to be ecstatic. You need to make every effort to maintain unity, to be aligned. Because conflict ultimately happens when we're not aligned on an issue. And in those moments, we have this opportunity to just ignore it, say, ah, it might go away, maybe, or, and kind of continue in on our ways of of functioning and like passivity towards one another. Or we can say, I'm gonna address this. We're gonna, I know this person loves Jesus. I know they're in this with me. Like we're going to address this issue. And that's why Paul says, therefore, saying therefore, because he's giving us instructions about Christian living, having put away falsehood, don't lie, speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but don't sin, and do not let the sun go down on your angry, and give no opportunity to the devil. Listen in life, whether it's conflict with your parents, whether it's conflict with a classmate, a conflict in your small group, we can't just let that be a thing that we just dismiss. And say, ah, I'm just, not, I'm just gonna like, maybe it'll go away. I'm not gonna talk about this. I'm not gonna figure this out. We cannot hide our conflict. And there's gonna be things in life that we disagree on. Maybe with your parents, maybe with your small group, maybe with your small group leader, maybe with your coach or your classmates. There's gonna be things. And specifically tonight, I'm not talking about just any disagreement. I wanna specifically kind of lean in because the, the passage here from Ephesians is very specific. I wanna think about disagreements that we have with other Christians, okay? Disagreements that we have with other believers. And he says, listen, you're going to disagree, but speak truth and talk honestly about those things. And there's going to be things in life that are simply our preferences. Okay. I read, I read a book uh, back a couple months ago that is written by a pastor from the EFCA. And he had some really interesting thoughts about how we can disagree. And he gave it to us in three categories. I want you to write these down as we go through them. The first things we might disagree on are personal preferences. Okay. These are things that ultimately in the long run are really not that important. They are things that we might just disagree on. And there may be this this situation where you disagree on this personal preference in your life, something that's not very significant, something that you're just like, 
they think this way, I think this way, I don't agree like how this works or how this functions. I really wish that our small group would, would pray first and, and my, the other people in my small group want to pray last and we just disagree on this and I don't like it. But the reality is on a lot of these things in our life that are personal preferences, we need to simply agree to disagree. To say, you know what, this is not something worth fighting over. This is not, it just is the way that it is and we're going to disagree on those things. There's other things in life that may be like a notch up. Those are things I'm going to call personal convictions. These are things that maybe you've read the Bible, you've understood some things about the Bible, and you have some certain convictions about what life should be like, but maybe they're not essential things. Maybe they're just personal convictions about how life should be lived, how we should treat one another, all these different things in life. And there's going to be times in your life where you have a personal conviction uh, about uh, something in your life. And as you get into your group tonight, I want your group leaders to maybe help you distinguish if there is a disagreement, where do these things fall? But you might have a a personal conviction. You say, I am fully convinced that God wants me to live in a certain way. I'm fully convinced that God wants me to treat people a certain way. I'm fully convinced that this is what God teaches about a a different moral thing in your life or or a different issue. I'm fully convinced of that. So I got convinced conviction. And it's a personal conviction. And you go and you sit down with your, your, your Christian friend and you say, hey, listen, we disagree on this and I want to talk about this and maybe you still don't align on it. You get to the end and they think it should be one way. You think it should be something different. And you say, this isn't like essential to our faith. This isn't something that's really the most ultimate or the most important thing in life. And you say, we still can't agree on this. You've talked about it. You've tried to process it. I think there are times in the church where we may need to set something called a boundary, okay? Now listen, have you, ever, you guys ever heard that word, a boundary? Like, I'm gonna set some boundaries in my life. You guys ever heard that word before? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that like concept. All right, cool, you've heard this concept. I'm gonna like give you a quick overview. All right, a boundary. A boundary is not me going to Libby and saying, Libby, you need to be different. All right, that's not a boundary. What is that? That's like a request, right? That's like a command. Libby, be different, okay? A boundary is something I'm going to do. I'm going to put in a boundary for myself so that no matter what Libby does, it's not going to cause me to be angry and sin. It's not going to cause me uh, to be frustrated or mad or bent out of shape. Even though we may disagree on something, I've installed a boundary. I'm going to give you an example of this that's very personal to me. Uh, Currently, my grandmother and I don't really talk to each other, and it's a boundary that I have put in place for my family, okay? And you're like, Alan, you're a jerk, okay? My grandmother thinks I'm a jerk too. It's okay. All right, here's the thing. It's taking me about 10 years to establish a boundary with my grandmother because my grandmother has not been nice to me for many different areas of my life and has caused a lot of like turmoil within my family, within my wife and my kids, our, my marriage and my family. It's caused a lot of issues. And so last time I saw my grandmother, I sat down with her and I said, hey, listen, if this is how it is, I can't be here. I can't be around. I don't know that we can like continue in a relationship together because the things that you do are really hurtful to me and the things that you do uh, are just not good for my family. And we sat and we had that conversation. And so I said, I I have to leave. Like I have to go away from, from where I am with you right now. And I would love if maybe you would kind of own some stuff and apologize about some things and we could, we could figure this out. My grandmother has not reached out to me or talked to me about any of those things. And maybe one day we'll be able to make amends. But it's a boundary that I've put into place to say, 
My grandmother has some certain beliefs about how life should function. I believe my grandmother is a Christian. She goes to church. She's very involved in her church. But the way that she treats me and my family is not good and it's not healthy. And so I've installed a boundary. Listen, there's gonna be times in your life where you and another Christian disagree about something that you are fully convinced of. And it's not that you should say, screw you, I'm never gonna talk to you again, I hate you, get out of my life. That's not how it should be. But you should say, hey, listen, we're not gonna agree on this and I'm gonna install a boundary to keep me from being hurt by the way that you live life, okay? Then there are things in life. So we have personal preferences, we have personal convictions, and then we have things in life that are essential convictions. These are things that are essential to our faith. These are things like, is Jesus really God? We believe that Jesus is fully God. That's essential doctrine to our faith. And if you're sitting in a church one day and somebody says, I believe that Jesus was kind of just like God, but he wasn't really God. By the way, there's some, uh, that is like a common heresy. And even there's a, a, a local, I'm not gonna call them out. I'm just saying, like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was like God, but was not fully God, okay? That's like Arianism, it's like a heresy, Okay. So listen, you're sitting in a church like that one day. That is something that you say, listen, we, we have to be divisive over this. We're gonna ha- we're, we cannot be unified and disagree on one of the essential things in life. It, not essential, the essential things of our faith, okay? So there's going to be conflict in which you say, we're gonna divide over this. We're gonna be disunified because we cannot be unified and disagree on things. But listen, that list of things is not like crazy exhaustive, okay? That list of things that are essential to our faith, there, there's a lot of them. And our, and our church has 10 kind of statements of faith and they're fully loaded with a ton of stuff. But listen, there's going to be things we disagree on that cause us to divide, but I want that to be kind of like a last option, okay? I want you when you're in conflict with another Christian to say, you know what, is this just something that I prefer? Is this something that I'm fully convinced of, but within the Christian framework, there's like some flexibility on this? Or is this something that is truly essential to my faith? So think about the disagreements that you have with the way that, you know, even just a disagreement you have with your parents, a conflict, a disagreement that you have with your small group, a disagreement that you have with other believers. Listen, don't let those things divide. Paul says, do not let the devil, what does he say? Let me read it so I don't butcher this passage. He says, Give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry, but don't sin. It's okay to be frustrated and angry about some things, some untruthfulness, some lies. But listen, be angry, but don't sin. Don't give the devil an opportunity to ruin what God is working on, okay? Conflict isn't the only thing that can keep us from from community. But conflict is one of the things, I think as a middle schooler, if you could figure this out and learn this, to embrace conflict a little bit, It will get you a long way in life. The other thing that I want to talk about tonight, because I think conflict pushes us to isolation. We say, you know what? If I disagree with them, I'm just not going to show up to youth group anymore. If I don't like the way that they do that, I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm just going to walk away. We're never going to have a conversation about it. I just don't feel like dealing with that. I'm going to go be isolated by myself. The other thing that keeps us isolated is confession, okay? Things in our life that we mess up, that we we have struggles with, we say, you know what? I just don't want to talk to somebody about that. I don't want to like own this mistake. I don't want to tell somebody about this sin in my life. And last week we talked about how we are supposed to be real with God. And I think in a general understanding in life, we kind of get this process that when we sin, we confess our sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That's 1 John 1, 9. That idea of confession 
Like when you sin, you say, all right, I sin. Nobody else knows about it except me. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to confess it to God. I'm going to ask him for forgiveness. I'm forgiven. I'm good. I'm clean. I'm, everything's fine. And maybe that's the way like in sometimes in life you think about and you, you kind of process. But the Bible doesn't just give us instructions about confessing to God. It also gives us very clear instructions about what it means to confess our sins one to another, okay? So we've confessed our sins to God. We talked about that last week about how we are real with God. But look at this, what it says in James chapter five. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Listen, this is kind of like confess your sins to God, pray to God, and he will forgive you. All right, that's literally what, kind of what those first few verses are, 13 to 14. Now verse 15 and 16. Therefore, right, it's therefore because it says, now that you've confessed your sins to God, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? What does it say? That you may be healed, right? We confess our sins to God so that we can be forgiven, We confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James commands us not only to confess our sins to God through prayer, to be real with God through praise, to be real with God through, am I suffering, am I sick, go to God in prayer, but also to confess our sins to another Christian, one another, so that we may experience healing and the freedom in life that we can have when we confess. I want you to think about this in two ways, okay? One, I think one of the ways that we need to be more real with one another in our life about confession is if I have sinned against you, then I need to go to you and say and confess, I sinned against you, I'm sorry. I think about this in the relationship to my wife, okay? If I'm at home and I'm being a jerk of a husband and I'm yelling and I'm mad and I'm not treating my wife well and I'm not respecting her and I'm not loving her, I'm not taking care of her, who have I sinned against? I've sinned against God because I've, I've not been good in my marriage, but I've also sinned against who? My wife, right? And so who do I need to go to to say that I, I'm confessing the sin to my wife? Who do I need to go to? My wife, right? I need to go to, you know, I'm sorry, babe, I've screwed up. I did not mean to yell and I'm gonna work on this. I'm gonna do that. I'm sorry. And I know that God has forgiven me, but I'm asking it, will you forgive me of the sin that I've committed against you? Now, the other thing in life, There are sins that maybe are not sins against anyone, or maybe they are, and yet there's still sins that we have that maybe we think, man, nobody else knows about this. Nobody else knows what's going on in my life. There are still sins that I need to confess to another believer. All right, think about it this way. In my life, I'm struggling with pride, all right? I'm struggling because I am just so arrogant in all of my life, and people see it around me, but maybe it's not a specific sin. And one day I'm reading through the scriptures, and I just think, I am a prideful, arrogant piece of work, okay? And I go to somebody. So look at everybody, look at Miss Nicole. She doesn't like me calling her out. But Miss Nicole's husband, her name is, his name is Flip. His name is Flip, all right? And where's, where's Haley? And Haley's dad, okay? His name is not Mark, okay? His name is not Mark. It's Flip, okay? Flip is someone in my life that I will text and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really having a hard time with it. This is a sin in my life. This is something I struggle. And Flip knows that. I texted Flip yesterday, okay? I said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I need you to check in on me. 
I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to like be somebody in my life that says, you know, I'm not going to let that slide and I'm going to hold you to it, but I'm also going to be gracious and kind with you. That kind of confession to be able to go to another believer and say, I'm really struggling with being anxious this week and I know that I need the peace of God and yet I'm still just so anxious and I'm just holding on to this. Man, I'm really struggling with lust this week. I'm really struggling with pride. I'm really struggling with anger. I'm just so mad and so frustrated and so angry right now. To go to somebody else like that. And in your groups tonight, one of the questions leaders I really want y'all to get to is who's a good person for that? That's not everybody, okay? If I told everybody all of my sin, this would not be healthy. It wouldn't be good. But there are people in your life, maybe a parent, I would encourage you, if your parents walk with the Lord, your parents are a phenomenal option for this, okay? Maybe that person is your small group leader. Maybe that person is another adult in your life, but somebody that you can go to and confess and talk about the things you struggle with. They can hold you accountable, okay? But when I do that, Flip doesn't look at me. He's like, yeah, you are super angry, you idiot. All right, that's not what Flip does. Flip says, listen, I remember a time I was there. I've struggled with it too. Listen, I'm gonna check in tomorrow. Hey, here's a passage to, to read and think on and meditate on. Hey, here's a, a worship song I wanna encourage you to listen to this week that I think will really help you as you process anger in your life. Somebody who's not going to be uh, mean to you, but somebody who's gonna be gracious with you, but also holds you accountable so that you can confess your sins to them. You don't feel like they're just looking down on you in shame, but you know that they're not gonna let it slide, Okay. Those two things, I think as a middle schooler, if you could work through these two things, how to handle conflict well and how to learn how to confess your sins to one to another, man, your life would be so different. Your life would drastically change because you would learn how to deal with conflict and you would learn how to not live your life in the isolation and shame of sin, okay? Tonight in your group, I want you to kind of work through those two things. How do we faithfully resolve conflict in our life? And what does regular confession look like in your life, okay? Those are kind of two areas I want you to focus in. Your group leaders have got a bunch of stuff they can talk about and they can lead that discussion. But those are kind of maybe two areas of focus for you guys to be thinking about tonight as you head into your group. Sound good? I wanna pray really quick uh, and then I'm gonna send you out to your groups. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for... Uh, giving us a beautiful examples uh, of what the church should look like. Thank you for creating us for community and not for isolation. Thank you for uh, really instilling in us uh, the ability, even as hard as it may be, the ability to deal with conflict and to confess our sins. Or we are faithful to confess them to you, and I pray that we would also be faithful to confess them to another believer so that we can be healed from the problems and the issues that sin causes in our life. Lord, we thank you. You're good, you're faithful, and uh, we love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.